Well, good morning. Oh, <clears throat> bit squeaky. Good to be here, hey? You're toasty. Got a nice fresh breeze. It's the Holy Spirit ministering amongst us. It's cool. Well, you know, we've been looking at First Peter, as mentioned, and looking at what it means to live a Christian life in a non-Christian culture. And I want you just for the moment, just to, just to imagine for the, for the moment, that you are looking for a partner, you know, things haven't worked out or it's time for something new. You're looking for a partner and maybe you, you know, go online and do some browsing and you get to the stage where you're looking and go, well, what do I really want? What what do I really want? You know, clicking through, outgoing, fun to be around, sounds really good. Oh, do I want reserve, stay at home? No, that sounds a little dull. And then you get down a little further and you've got two choices. There's holy or hot. What would you go for? It's a no-brainer, right? I mean, look at Dan, you know. She can, he, Leah got both. <laughs> holy or hot. I mean, what, what do you think of when you hear the word holy? Sort of like, got some, anyone want to shout out a response? Dan, what do you think of when you think of holy? Hot. hot. <laughs> it's practically the same, right? Holy hot. You know, holy, you sort of think of dull, you know, bit of a dweeb maybe. I don't know, just a little bit stuck up, self-righteous, doesn't really, you know, do much for you perhaps. But it's funny, isn't it? What is that perception of holy that we kind of go, "Mm, not sure about that? And yet we read in the Bible, you know, it starts off right in Leviticus. God says, be holy because I am holy. And it's mentioned like 500 times. There's these little quotes to holiness and, and what it means. And the Bible, Bible paints this picture of a holy God, a righteous God. You know, the, there was the burning bush with Moses and God says, you know, take your sandals off, Moses. You're on holy ground. Holiness. What does it look like? That's what we're going to explore this morning. Let me just go to the clicker because I've forgotten that I'm actually running this. Be holy because I am holy. See, in the Hebrew, the word kurosh means holy, and the definition is being different, set apart. And the idea of God being different and set apart might be kind of a new concept for you, but he is separate from sin. He is completely holy and set apart. And even in the Psalms, we read about the holiness of God, and there's a sense of, you know, one Psalm, it says, Lord, we worship you in the beauty of your holiness. You alone are holy. And, and God's holiness is actually his beauty. He's exalted and it's what sets, us, sets him apart. See, if we're going to go to a quote, Dallas Willard says, Holiness is the quality of likeness to God, a sacred condition of a thing or person, either inherently or through intention, that sets the entire thing or person apart from the common or the worldly. It's just what I said before, really. Holiness to be set apart. So I was doing some little drawings during the week and I was thinking about God. You know, God in his um, unique holiness 
God's actually a community of love. I don't know if you can see that. We've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And within this community of love is actually self-giving. It's self-giving, but it's also outward-focused. And that's how God, in His relationship to the Trinity, actually lives. He's perfect, He's set apart, He's holy. But the thing that makes Him unique is this self-giving love. And when we think about it, and we think about Jesus, Jesus is actually the human face of holiness. You think about what Jesus was like and the fact that actually the sinful people flocked to him. They went to him, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the outcasts, the down and out. They're actually drawn to Jesus and his holiness. And then there was the self-righteous people, the Pharisees, and they actually avoided him. There was something in Jesus that they didn't like. So to be holy is actually to look like Jesus, to be radically different from the culture around us. But what is it in Jesus that made him so attractive? See, I love this quote. If we go to the next slide. Here's a couple of quotes from Trevor Hudson and Donald McCulloch. It says, The fire of God's holiness is a fire of self-giving love. God is set apart from us by his self-giving love. God is holy because he loves us, and because he loves us, he is holy. The holy other is holy for us. Don't you love that? God is holy for us. It was Jesus' love for others that people were drawn to, this friendship. He was never in a hurry. He was never frenzied. He took time for people. He made time. He was the wisest person that you would ever meet. But it was his love for others that people were drawn to. See, here's a few little pictures I was thinking about this week. See, we were actually designed to have this outward focus of love too. Originally, back when we were um, in God's thoughts and intentions, we were designed to have an outward focus in the Garden of Eden, to do life with God and for others. But then, you know, pride got in and, and then we became sort of inward looking, sort of self-focused, me loving, divided, loving our own kingdom rather than God's and became very, very self-focused. And it became all about us. We're so full of us often that we can't fit anyone else in. We've got limited resources, limited patience, limited love, limited kindness when it's all about us. And actually God wants us to go back to our factory settings, how we were designed, which was actually designed with a me focus. In the passage we're looking at today, this is what Paul says, or Peter says. Peter and Paul were both very important people, so let's just clarify that. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, God actually wills holiness for us. He wants us to be set apart, to be used by him. And you know, we can say that we're followers of Jesus, but then when we actually scratch the surface a little and look, does our life really look any different to anyone else? 
So in this passage here, Peter's saying, prepare your minds for action. Don't you love that? Prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Easy to say, right? But our thoughts often have legs. That's why Peter's talking about our minds. Why is it that he addresses our minds? Because the enemy targets our minds. And often the way that we think determines our choices, the things that we spend our time doing, the things that we see as a priority. It all starts with our mind. Set your minds for action. So I was reading a book. I was talking about the reason that we struggle with following through on things. And I was talking about the will. And you know, our will is really good with the big decisions, like I'm going to move house, I'm going to change jobs, I'm going to do this, marry this person. But then when it comes down to the little things, the everyday things, the will is kind of really weak sometimes. We need little frameworks around us, little disciplines, little practices. That's why we love routine so much, because often we struggle with self-control. See, Paul often talks about the Christian life being like a race, you know, training, go into training and and not that we um, becomes about works, but put some little frameworks around us and it will help us. See, holiness isn't something that we can do by ourselves. We find it hard. See, if we go into 2 Peter, just the next book, it says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So we're actually designed to share in God's nature. Isn't that cool that he invites us in to participate in his divine nature? That we live as God's obedient children? And we don't allow just our human desires to have run of the house, but we actually participate. We're a part of that with God. See, I love what the message says in the, the passage we're looking at today. It says, so roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then than you do now. As obedient children, let your lives be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. Don't you love that? Shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. See, often we live by this mantra, don't we, in the world? If it feels good, do it. How often do we hear that? How often do we tell ourselves that? Or try not to tell ourselves that. But you know, it's not easy, is it, to kind of be different, to look different. And even the world of desire can be really, really slippery. You know, God has given us some wonderful desires, some really holy and really good desires, desires to love, to be loved. And then there's those other selfish desires that sort of take us away from God. But often we see the difference in the fruit that those things um, produce. But God actually wants to transform our desires. He wants to place new good and holy desires in us. But he says, don't slip back into those easy patterns of living. Uh, Instead, let me shape you. Let me place my desires in you. And then you'll have this beautiful life that's blazing with holiness. I love that. Energetic and blazing with holiness. 
But how do we do this, right? When the rubber hits the road, how do we actually grow in holiness? Well, I've got three little thoughts for you today. The first one is that we shift from duplicity to authenticity. Big words, huh? Duplicity, that idea of duplication divided. See, often we do live divided. This false self to true self, how we're actually designed to be, how God has made us. In this passage in Romans, it paints it so beautifully. You're probably familiar with this. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really doing the one, I'm sorry, I'm not really doing the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life and when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Isn't an amazing passage? It's so honest, isn't it? Paul's wrestle with this sin that divides us. It started way back in the Garden of Eden where we tried to hide from the things that we've done wrong. And often secretly there's things in our life that we try and hide, that we try and push down, that we think, oh, if people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't hang around with me. They would know that I haven't got my act all together that I'm really a bit of a phony underneath. And all those messages that the enemy speaks into our life that tries to push us down and tell us that we're really just not good enough. See, God has designed us with a true self. He speaks life and hope into us. You're a child of God and I love you and I want best for you. And the enemy is continually wanting us to live out of this divided false self that we're not good enough. See, holiness is just living an integrated life. Who we are on the inside is who we are on the outside. There's no difference between our private life, our public life, a secret life, what we profess, what we believe, what we say we believe is actually who we are and what we practice. That's what a holy life looks like. It's an integrated life. It's living from this authentic self. See, holiness is actually linked to wholeness, W-H, wholeness. You know, who we are really. And when God calls us to be Holy, he's actually calling us to be whole, W-H-O-L-E. He says, be holy mind, W-H-O-L-L-Y. <laughs> Isn't that great that I can spell? He wants us to be whole, inside, outside. And we know, we know that we're not perfect, and that's okay. We know that God has made us, and we struggle with our own humanness. You know, that's why we have this picture of Jesus who is actually God and human. He showed us how to live in his humanness. And you know, I know with my own life, I've often had struggles about this, about, you know, God, these were my two questions. God, do you trust? I feel like God has said to me, Carol, do you trust me with your purpose? Carol, do you trust me with how I've made you and your purpose? 
And the second question I felt God say to me recently was, Carol, do you trust me in who I have made you to be? Do you trust me? See, we can look around and we can compare, oh, but I'm not like her and I'm not like him and I can't do that. And we can often live from that space. And God says, well, no, hang on. Do you trust me? And it's like, oh, yeah, I think I do. (laughs) But do we? So why is it important to move from this duplicity to authenticity? Well, being the same person on the inside and the same person on the outside, that's what made Jesus so attractive. It was his integrity. And look at the damage that the hypocrisy has done through the, through the era, through the church, through the, through the Pharisees. We see hypocrisy can do major damage. But God wants us to be the same person inside and out. Just being real, no longer living in deception, no longer, um, you know, pushing things down, but going, okay, I'm broken. (laughs) What's about you probably are too? Let's talk about it. See, David in Psalm 78 says, it's commented that David had integrity of heart. Isn't that a beautiful definition of holiness? Integrity of heart. Integrity comes from the word integer, whole this beautiful integrity of heart. And you know, at the end of the day, it just comes down to the fact that we admit, God, we need you. I need you. My goodness, I need him. And when we live authentically and when we allow God to be at work in us, we carry God's presence into every situation. And I'm sure people notice that, that you're real. We bring God into our world. And we just become a vessel set apart for God to use us in our world. And we become these little living vessels of holiness. Isn't that cool? Well, the second thing we can do to grow in holiness is a shift. And I've already kind of talked about it. It's the shift from self-centered to other-centered. That's our true self being other-centered. See, the passage in Ephesians sums it up beautifully. It says, Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Isn't that great? What this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbour the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Man, I could sit in that for a while. Isn't that true? It's a sense of being authentic and real, no longer lying to ourselves. See, Sin is basically this sense of living from selfishness and we have this hard heart toward God. And it's not until we have a revelation of sin and what it's like that things begin to change. You have, have you noticed that sin has a ripple effect? You know, I'm working with people and I see brokenness and I see sometimes the ripple effect that sin as selfishness can have. And it's not until you have a revelation of that and you think, oh, gee, I don't really know if I want to live like that. That's hard. That causes pain. 
It also damages our relationship with God. It brings a hardness to us when we keep saying no, when we keep resisting God. It just hardens us to him. See, God's best for us is that he wants us to turn our backs on our old way of life and he wants us to die to self so we can really live. We can really begin to have all that was promised to us right from the beginning. And you know, when you scratch below the habits of, scratch below some of the secret habits that we're not proud of, those things that we kind of wish people didn't know about us or don't know about us, often they're just things that we, we want to fit in. We're looking for love or acceptance somewhere. And God promises to meet those deep needs within us. He knows that you are good enough because he's made you in his image. To know that you are loved. And when we know that we're loved, we can begin to look at others through that same lens of love in the way that God looks through us. So sometimes it's just asking God, God, give me a heart for others. Give me your heart for others. And sure, we can have, um, I was reading about a Catholic order in Algeria this week. And it's called the Little Brothers and Sisters of Jesus. Isn't that a cute name? The Little Brothers and Sisters of Jesus. And here's an an order, a Catholic order, and and what they actually do is they don't set themselves apart and dress in habits. They just wear normal clothes, and they just go into the community, and they just do all the menial jobs that other people don't want to do, probably in secrecy, probably not really known. But I thought, what a beautiful thing. And I was thinking, well, actually, we don't have to be monks and tuck ourselves away to do that. I reckon one of the greatest training grounds for holiness is actually parenthood. Ever cleaned up after a toddler? (laughs) Ever navigated through childhood and teenage years when you don't know anything? That's a great training hood for parenthood, for holiness. See, we can desire humility and want to be like Jesus, but we often dodge the, the, the yucky things, the tough things the lowly tasks. But Jesus invites us into this place of preferring others rather than ourselves. The third thing we can do is shift from living living for my kingdom and living for God's kingdom. So feathering your own nest, you know. God invites us into this pattern of living where we're no longer looking after number one, but we're actually living according to the way God has called us to live. So imagine that we decide in our mind that we're not going to pay back evil with evil or we're we're going to live a life of integrity and we're going to choose honesty over lies. We're going to choose honesty in finances and in business and in our families and with our children and with our spouses. We're going to choose to be honest in love. We're going to decide on doing something about those habits that we're secretly not proud of. We decide that we're going to do something about that anger that just catches us off guard every time we do ABC, whatever that looks like. We're going to see a counsellor. We're going to join an accountability group. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to take a step of action. We're going to decide to do life differently. And I love that Jesus never shames us into that. He just invites us in and he says, hey, life can look like this. Isn't that beautiful? That's what I want for you. That's my best for you. 
He loves us. He's patient with us. He's so kind to us. It's never condemning. No, never rub your nose in it. It's always an invitation. See, Paul says, make every effort to be holy. Make every effort. It starts with an effort. Well, how do we grow in this? Like, what, how do we land this? How do we let this take root? Well, here's a couple of practices that I reckon have helped me. Well, one of them especially. And the first one's solitude and silence. And I know we talk about this a lot, but I know life is busy. And sometimes we just need to take time out just to be with God. And I know that Jesus did that. He spent time with the Father. He was um, refreshed by spending time alone in prayer. He was filled with compassion as he went to minister. He had to get his tank filled to go out and to give love to others. He wrestled with temptation in the desert because he'd had time alone with the Father. And I know this helps me with my walk and my journey I know just sitting with God and and spending time in his word, I begin to look at my life with a fresh lens. And sometimes as I look back over my day and I just detect these little patterns, I go, hang on, I thought about that. that Why did I do that? What about that conversation with that person? Oh, gee, I had a totally me-focused agenda then, didn't I? And I see my impatience, I see my obsession with, you know, cutting people off in mid-sentence because I think I've got something more important to say, or um, my inability to really listen because I'm just forming opinions in my head as they speak. All those things, when you really look, you go, hang on, why do I do that? See, God often prompts things and he often um, brings things out into the light as I spend time with him, not in a condemning way, but in a really, really beautiful way. See, I, um, on holidays, we went down to Tassie and we had, a, we had a really lovely time. We actually went to a church down there for a couple of Sundays and uh, I was looking at the little bulletin and they had, on the back of the bulletin, they had a thing, um, daybreak prayer. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I looked at the time and it was pretty early and I thought, okay, I'll go along. I was interested. I've got a heart for prayer and I feel like it's a real growth thing in me and um, it's been a a struggle. And I thought, well, I'll just go along and see what they do. So I went along and and it was really lovely. There was a time of um, a solo prayer and in in a room and we're walking around. We look like little penguins, I think, in the dark. And and then we went into another room and there was some time of corporate prayer and a little bit of worship and that was cool. you know when you're in this awkward space and there's probably about a dozen people there and, and it was really kind of like, oh, do I say something? Do I, do I, you know, you're just about to pray and someone else prays. And, and then all of a sudden I think, oh, no, I can't, I can't pray. I'm the new person, you know. Like you felt really, really, I just felt a bit odd. I overthink things, I know. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm praying and God gave me this picture. And I was, I'm like, oh, that's a funny picture, God. And it was this beaker of water right? A full beaker of water. And so in my head, I'm having a go, saying to God, well, what's that about, God? And, and then I just felt this sense of, you know, often we sit there and we overthink things. And God just said, pour yourself out. You know, we're made, God fuels us to be poured out, to give to others, to love others so that he can pour love back 
to us that we can begin to pour ourselves out. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're right, God. You know, we overthink things. We get fearful and strange thoughts sometimes. But God just says, pour yourself out. See, when we pour ourselves out, we're blessed, others are blessed, and God's blessed. And what a beautiful picture that is. See, the second thing we can do is trying this at home, solitude and silence, is suffer with a neighbour. See, often sometimes we're so me-focused and our world gets so small when it's all about us that if we can just see things from another person's perspective, it changes us, doesn't it? We can feel helpless sometimes when you see people in need, but I really believe that when we suffer with someone or we just sit with someone in their pain or just sit with someone who's doing it tough or lonely, we can actually shift our focus from us to them. And I was reading a beautiful little book um, on holidays. It was called Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Honestly, it was a fantastic, profound little book. And there was a whole chapter on his struggle with depression. If you depression or you live with someone with depression, I just highly recommend it. Come and see me later if you want to know more. But he talks about this whole chapter of dealing with depression and and just the, the sense of isolation and loneliness and shame that he felt. Here he was, this accomplished writer and dealing with depression. And he said, often people would come by and they'd try and fix me. They'd try and, you know, come on, Parker, get your life together. You'll be fine. It can't be that bad. And he said one friend would come and he would just come by after work and sit and just massage his feet, just sit him down and start to massage his feet and wouldn't ask him anything or just maybe make a comment, oh, you seem more relaxed today. But they would just sit in the presence of another. And he said what a profound impact that had on his journey where someone was just happy just to sit with him and do life with him in the awkward silence and that was okay. So if we look around, there's plenty of lonely and hurting people. There's lots of them around us and it's an opportunity just to step out of our world into their world for a moment. So do what, it's, do what we can to position ourselves, to, to actually look at how we can take practical steps You know, whether it's getting up earlier or spending time with a friend, what can we do to take practical steps to step out of our world and into the world of another? So here it is. To become holy is to become holy ourselves. That's profoundly simple, isn't it? To become holy, 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 is to become holy ourselves, W-H, authentic, true self. What does that look like? See, holiness is a journey and it's a progressive journey and we're not aiming for perfection, but we're just aiming for progress. It's about making ourselves available for God to use us. To become holy is to become holy ourselves, our authentic, true self, that we would become people of integrity filled with God's love, becoming fully alive to who he's made us to be and that we would go into our world and bring God to our world. So, you know, one day 
we will all stand before God. And, you know, I, I can just picture it now. I'll get there and I'll be saying, oh God, I'm sorry I wasn't like Moses and I'm sorry I wasn't like Mary and I'm sorry I wasn't like Mother Teresa and I'm sorry I wasn't like Bobby Houston. And God will say, but Carol, I just asked you to be Carol Renucci. And I'm like, oh yeah. That's all we have to be is holy ourselves. See, when we live with this God-centred life, when we lay down our own desires and when we allow God to fill us and He fills us with His patience and His compassion and His love, then we can pour that out to others. And I've got to love this. A tree brings glory to God by being a tree, says Thomas Merton. Isn't that the best? We just have to be ourselves. It's all we have to be. And the other cool thing is that holiness, holiness will look different for each one of us. It'll all you look uniquely different as we bring God's life into our broken world. We bring out the salt and the light and the God colours in our world. It'll actually look different. I'll be the quirky little teapot down in the left corner. You know, each one of us will look different and that's okay. Isn't that refreshing? That, that holiness isn't just this cookie cutter stamped thing that we kind of perceive it to be. It's just us being who God's made us to be. That we'll just be well-functioning people who love well. We'll be honest, down-to-earth, God-loving people, full of grace, with the ability to do what needs to be done when we see it before us. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we declare that you are holy exalted far above and set apart. And God, your beauty is your holiness. God, thank you that you are this source of self-giving love, that you poured yourself out for us, Jesus. And in Jesus, we stand with this new posture of righteousness, being made right before you, God. And we just thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you fill us and empower us to be all that you've made us to be. God, would you please give us courage to face the patterns of the selfishness that we're entrenched in? And God, would you just give us some strategies to, and some boldness to say no to the pull of our selfishness and the pride? Just to consciously remember you through each day, to admit, God, we do really need you. And we just want to be authentic like you, Jesus, to live honestly, to live openly. Just fill us with a desire to really love others well, that we shift from this self-centeredness to other-centeredness. We'd shift from our own self-absorption with our own world and instead have a vision for this new kind of life in the realm of your kingdom. That we might see the needs of people around us and those who are suffering and simply be present for them. God, thanks that we aren't alone, that you invite us to participate in this life of holiness with you. And then in this journey of actually becoming living vessels of holiness, we become fully alive to who you've made us to be. And thanks, God, that we can become fully ourselves. 
and that this is the place where we bring you into our world. And that's our desire, Jesus, to bring all the glory and honour to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.